All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you guys today. Thank you all for being a part of New Life Church uh, on this Sunday. Uh, it certainly looks like fa- uh, fall out there today, without a doubt. Uh, lots of leaves have been changing. Very beautiful sight out there reminding us of seasons change, but God doesn't. And a reminder that He is who He says He is. And today I want to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And give you just a moment to get there. We are picking up with the series that we started last week called Centered and Sound. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as I introduce today's Message. This is our series text, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, the pastor of a church. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Chapter 4, verse 3. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and they will chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. So a time is coming, he says, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires, look for people who will tell them what they want to hear... They will reject truth, but you should keep a clear mind. Paul, this is perhaps Paul's final letter that he writes. All right, he writes it from prison in Rome around AD 66, AD 67, right before his execution. And I think one of the things he's trying to get to Timothy and the future followers of Christ is hey, Before I pass, i got to make sure I can tell you one final thing. That is to make sure that your life and your message and the people in the church are setting themselves up, positioning themselves to live a life that is centered and sound. What What do I mean by centered and sound? What is at the center of our life will determine the sound of our life. I don't mean the amplification of our vocal cords. I don't mean our voices per se, but what I mean by sound is looking at the definition this way, that what is at the center of our lives will be what determines the strength of our life, the security of our life, the reliability, the substantial part of it, the uprightness, the honest part, the good part, the part that says we're free from moral defect and we have a theologically healthy outlook on life, a biblical worldview, if you will you want to put it that way. I mean, it's a great definition, a great explanation, a great way to look at life. What is that the center of our life will determine the sound of our life. It comes down to what we believe. You know, what we believe deep in in the center of our soul will actually be the thing that drives us, will be the thing that moves us, will be the thing that shapes us as we look ahead and determine the courses of life and paths that we take comes down to, to our belief. This series uh, that we, that's titled Centered and Sound, what we're doing is we're taking some time to intentionally kind of look at 
our belief statements here as a church at New Life Church, our doctrinal belief statements, and we're looking at them in a way where, you know, from time to time, it's, I think it's healthy to kind of dust off some things and remind ourselves what we believe and why we believe it. If we don't, if we don't, you know, kind of wrestle with that from time to time, then we're, we're going to fall into this category that Paul tells Timothy at times coming where people won't listen to sound teaching. Because they don't know what to believe. They won't, they won't believe it. They won't adhere to it. They won't secure their life to it. And so it's important that uh, it's a valid exercise of faith to revisit some foundational things. Some things that are at the center, if you will, that can help shape and put forth the soundness of our life. And not to make us you know, more uh, religiously scholarly or any of that matter. It's about understanding heart-to-heart, hand-to-hand relationship with God, walking with Him in this world. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I look at people's life, and um, especially those who've been given the chance to live pretty long life, and you look back over the history and the pattern of their life, and they have that, they have... um, they have the testimony, if you will, of good character and integrity and Christ-likeness and godliness, et cetera, et cetera. And people can talk about them in a way that's like, they live their life for the Lord. And they made an impact. They made a difference. They made a deposit. They, they created a change in somebody else's life by the way they live. There's no doubt Paul made that kind of imprint in Timothy, and there's no doubt Timothy made that kind of imprint in the church. And we're all called to this. And and if we don't take the time to revisit what we believe and why we believe it, as Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 6.16, take some time to stop and look around and ask God for the godly way, the old godly way, and then walk in that. Travel its paths and your souls will find rest. your souls will find rest. Because in a world that's upside down, in a world that's topsy-turvy, in a world that seems to be sinking, in a world that seems to be spinning out of control, in a world that just seems to be where chaos and every corner of this world exists, there just seems to be things that happen. And I know the news amplifies the bad, but there is so much good that's taking place still in this world. I know the news has a way of of magnifying the negative. But there is still so much good, godly things that are happening all across this planet. All across this planet. And I know they don't make TikTok. They don't make Instagram. They don't make news all the way around. And we shouldn't rely on those sources to stir us to not give in to following our own desires. We should not wait on the sources of the media, etc., all the way around the globe to, to determine what you and I are called to believe by faith in Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility to stick to the truth. We have a responsibility to walk in the old godly way, the tried and true and tested way that has always been and will always be. And the prophet Jeremiah says, hey, ask God to show you. If you don't know what to believe, if you're unsure how to look at a certain situation, if you're unclear on how to kind of wrap your faith around this, he says, ask God for that way. He will show you what is true. He will show you what is right. But don't be the kind that walk around with itching ears wanting everybody to affirm what you want to hear. 
Be the kind of believer that will live a life that is centered and sound. And he says, ask for it. So that's what we're doing. Will you pray with me today? Lord, we thank you for your word that help us not to make your word what we want it to be, but may your word make us who you intended us to be. Show us the old godly way. Show us the ways in which to walk. Lord, when we're confused, when we're at crossroads of life, when we're, when we're trying to balance it out, trying to struggle through it, wrestle with it, all of that stuff, trying to wrap our minds around it, show us your word, show us your truth, show us your way, and help us, O oh God, to travel those paths. And in traveling the path of godliness, you promise that we will find rest for our souls. We won't live in torment. We'll live at peace. We'll live in strength. We'll live in a steadfastness, O oh God. May that be the case. May that be the case. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the time I have remaining, I want to preach to you today on a message that I've titled, Let Go, Let God. I'm running the risk of overusing a cliche. <laughs> let go, let go, let go, let go. I'll, I get it. But if you'll stick with me, I'm believing that can actually make some good sense out of this today. And it won't just be a cliche, but we'll see it as a way of life. We'll see it as a way of life. Last week we covered a few doctrinal statements. Today we're going to cover a few more. We're actually going to look at these. Man, the fall, redemption, salvation, and sanctification. All, those, all of those belief statements that just make you want to get up and shout and run around the room and give high fives, gather around a campfire and, you know, eat s'mores and or gather around the TV and high five and eat barbecue nachos and, you know, hot wings because it's that, that exciting. Talk about sanctification. It's that exciting to talk about man's fall. It's that exciting to talk about how we've screwed our lives up. But I'm not focusing on the negative of all of that. I'm focusing, we want to focus on the central theme of all of this, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. All right? But let go, let God. I want to read you this statement about man. The fall and the redemption of it, salvation of us, etc. It says this. It says, We believe that man was created in the image of God, but through Adam's voluntary disobedience, she sinned and fell. Consequently, all of humanity shares in man's lost and sinful nature, and humanity's only hope for redemption is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We believe man is saved by grace alone, through personal faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift from God, not a result of our good works or of any human effort. Through repentance of our sins, we receive forgiveness of our sins. Repentance is the commitment to turn away from sin in every area of our lives and to follow Jesus Christ, thus allowing us to be redeemed. This new birth is necessary to all men and when fulfilled produces eternal life. It's a mouthful. That has a whole lot of scripture in that. I'm not going to read all of them. I'm going to look at two texts today uh, to set today's message up. Join with me in Genesis 1 at the very beginning. On the sixth day, Genesis 1 verse 26, God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and He said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and said, this is terrible. I just want to make sure you were with me. God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and the morning came, marking the sixth day. God's creation is good. You and I, in his eyes... He created us, formed us, fashioned us in His image and His likeness. The very, very beginning. That was His plan all along. It was good. Then you read chapter 2 and into chapter 3, and you begin to see about man's disobedience and man's fall and all of that. To summarize that, I want us to look at a text in Romans. Romans chapter 5. Now, I'm reading this all because... uh, Not all of chapter 5, but this portion of the text... Um, because it is such a, I'm not, I can't add anything to it. I just, I couldn't preach any more on it. It says it so well. Look with me in Romans 5. Read along with me, not out loud, but to yourself. Follow with me. Read the words to yourself. Romans 5.12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Verse 16, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph. This is powerful. All who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, almost there. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a whole lot. I read, I read, read that intentionally because I believe that is a 
wonderful summarization. Man's fall, man's creation, man's fall, man's redemption, man's salvation in Christ Jesus. I want to give you these other scriptures to read on your own. If you're taking notes, you can, you can write these down. Romans 3, 21 through 25. Romans 6, 23. Romans 10, 9 through 13. Galatians 2, 16. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Then one most of us are familiar with, John 3, 16 and 17. All support and tag this whole portion of belief. Here's what I want you to take note of. The very center of all of this is Jesus. Jesus is the center for salvation, for redemption, for forgiveness, for eternal life. Without him, none of it's possible. None of it can happen. None of us can attain salvation, redemption, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, as it says, on our own accord. Jesus is the center to save us, to redeem us. So from salvation to heaven, what do we do? Let's break it down to real life here. So that's a, that's a, that's a great theological statement. It's a great explanation. It's some great scripture to support that. But man, what do I do now? What do I, how do I take that and apply that to my everyday life? From salvation to heaven, what do we do? Do we twiddle our thumbs? Are we proud of the, our, the, or we, we just go around living whatever we want to, doing whatever we want to? How do we, what do we do with this gift of salvation now, with the promise of eternal life at some point? What do we do? Well, I'm glad you guys asked that question. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to make attempt, an attempt to look at that today. And here's where sanctification comes into play. Here's where it all kind of comes together. First of all, let me just say it this way, the statement that we have written. that We believe the Bible teaches that without holiness, no man can see the Lord. The doctrine of sanctification is a definite yet progressive work of grace. Commencing at the time of regeneration, our spiritual rebirth, and continue until the consummation of salvation when we get to heaven. So God is always working on me. God is always working in us. Let me say it this way. God's will for our life is that we would pursue a life of holiness. I know that word holy, holiness, is not on the top ten preaching circuits of conferences around the globe. I know it's not something that every preacher talks about. I get it. We don't want to talk about all of that all the time. We want to talk about what draws a crowd. We want to talk about what will make us excited. I get it. This actually should make us excited. And and, then we're going to get to that about let go and let God. God's will is that we would pursue a life of holiness. Let's look at this real quick. A couple verses 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it's on the screen. It says, God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Now, please, that's one scripture. We're going to look at another one. But before we do, don't misinterpret holiness as only staying away from sexual sin. All right? I'm not here to preach about 
abstaining from sexual sin. I'm here to preach and admonish us to pursue a life of holiness, period. Period. Let's look at this. Hebrews 12, 14. It's on the screen. It tells us, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Work at. That word has a meaning of this. Run towards. Pursue. Press on. Living a life of holiness. What does the word holiness mean here? It means a life of consecration and sanctification. What does that mean? Not work at, you know, try to be a life, live a life of holiness for the sake of being a holy roller. If I could put it that way, that's kind of an old school term. You're a holy roller. (laughs) Don't be judging me, you're a holy roller. You know, that kind of thing. I'm not talking about being a holy roller, looking down our nose at people and like, get your life together, sinner. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what the word is talking about. Press on, run towards, live a life, desire to live a life of holiness. What is that? A life that is set apart for God and God alone. Set your life up to be separated in a way to where God is the greatest thing in you, for you, to you, through you, all the above. Live a life, not to be a holy roller, not to be a religious nut job, if I could put it that way. There's plenty of those people in this world, and they're not helping anybody come to Christ. All they do is point fingers and forget three point back at them, or four, depending on how many they have. Now, we're called to live in the image that we were created in. That is the image of Christ, the image of God. And to be more like we were originally created. Because that is the image we see in Genesis 1 where humanity is walking hand-to-hand with divinity, where God the Creator is spending time with His creation. It's when they are in that image. Christ is the one, Jesus is the one, when we welcome Him into our life, he then unlocks the blueprint of the DNA of God to, be, to make us more and more the way we were originally created. God then restores. It's our job, our aim, our trajectory of our life to aim it towards, run towards, press towards, be after, desire a life of sanctification, a life of holiness. And as we put our life in that direction, God then goes to work in us for us. Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, the scripture that comes to mind is, work out your own salvation with much fear and trembling. Almost sounds like we should be the ones making ourselves clean, but there's more to it. That is the onus of putting ourselves in position to run after a life of holiness. Then it says, for God is at work to give you the will and the power to do what pleases him. God is the one who goes to work in us to actually change us. We can't change ourselves. We can't change each other. You ever tried to change somebody? How frustrated were you after that job? Even more so, probably, right? We can't change anybody. 
We can't change ourselves. God is the one who knows how we are called and how we are wired and how we are created. He's the one who goes to work in us when Jesus becomes Lord in our life. It unlocks, Jesus unlocks and opens wide the opportunity for God to go to work to begin that restoration process of the image and likeness of God in us. It's our job to put ourselves in an aiming direction towards Him. And when, we, when that happens, we get born again, we get saved. That's awesome. That's amazing. Our sins are forgiven. Our future in Him. We have an eternal life guaranteed. But man, what do we do from then until heaven? What do we do from salvation until we go to heaven? We're called to let go and we're called to let God. What do I mean by that? Let's look at this. Romans 6. Romans 6. Let go. Of control. I want to just leave you with three truths about sanctification, if you will. Three truths of aiming a life, pursuing a life of holiness, consecration, sanctification in God. First, let go of control. Romans 6 1. I can't, I wish, you, you should just go and read all of this, like on your own, literally. Like this is, I know, like, I just want to go read Romans. Nobody says that, okay? But I'm telling you, you should, like, go and read this. I can only get into a, a portion of it. Romans 6 1 says, Well, then, Paul says, should we just keep on sinning? We're saved, man. I made, I'm in the, I made right with God. Should I just keep on sinning so that God can show me more of His wonderful grace? His answer, of course not. Let that, let that not be the goal of your life. Let not that be the desire of your heart. It says, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Jump down to verse 10. When he died, Christ, when Christ died, he, want, uh, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So that you should also, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead... Give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Verse 14, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Sin was mentioned quite a few times there. I'm not a preacher that, that lists sins. I, I hardly do that. Okay, because I think we could probably figure out what sin is. We can name all kinds of things. Okay, um, a lot of people like to get off on kicks about talking about certain t- kinds of sin. To each his own. Sin is sin. Period. Sin is sin. Here's the definition that Paul gives about sin. It's anything that causes us to miss the mark. That which causes us to wander from the path of uprightness in thought, feeling, speech, and action. I think that pretty much sums it all up right there. Now, the Bible does talk, list out lots of sins. It's clear on that. Sin is anything that causes us to miss the mark and wander from the path of uprightness in thought, feeling, speech, or action. And what does Paul come around and he tells us this about Jesus? That 
because of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and the promise of his second coming and his return, that he conquered death, that he conquered the power of sin, and that anyone whose life is in Jesus Christ has been given the same power to also live free from sin's rule and master over their life. Does that mean we're all perfect? Absolutely not. Does that mean we got it all going on? Absolutely not. Does that mean, man, we have, we have attained it? No, Paul actually goes on and later writes in Philippians 3 in his letter that, hey, he said, I have not attained it. I have not arrived to perfection late in his life, late in his ministry, late after establishing lots of churches, getting lots of people to come around to the belief in Christ Jesus. All of that, lots of that going on, lots of people he's reached, and he still says, I have not made it, but here's what I do. I press on. I forget what lies behind. I press on to what lies ahead. And I move forward towards the prize and the upward call that is in Christ Jesus. Paul himself, who wrote this right here, Romans, also wrote that to the Philippians. It all is and or both. It, 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 it works together. It works together. And so, he's saying, in this moment, we are called to let go of the control of sin in our life. Getting the revelation that sin is not my master. In other words, we cannot get away with continuing to make excuses on why we continue to miss the mark. We cannot get away with living in the attitude that, hey, I'm not perfect, I don't have it all together, and therefore, that's what causes me to wander from the path of uprightness in my thought, feeling, speech, and attitude and behavior, all those things. He said, but sin is not your master. So what happens if sin is not our master? Who is called to rule our life? Who is called to lead our life? Who is called to govern our life? Who is called to oversee our life? Jesus is called to do that. He is called to be Lord of our life. And so if we have made him, if we make him Lord, and we live a life by constantly aiming at, pursuing, running after a life of holiness, what I mean by that is living a life of repentance. If we live by a life of repentance, we don't just say we're sorry once or twice, but we live with the mentality, I am changing my mind. My life was going in this direction, and I do a 180, which is repentance, and I'm changing my mind to do and go in the direction God wants my life to go. And I'm, and I don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. We get challenged and, and pulled away with, and lured away with enticements and temptations. And we want to kind of do our thing. And we want to kind of chase this. We want to kind of go there. And that is anything that causes us to wander from the path of uprightness in our thought, in our speech, in our feelings, and in our actions. But we live, no, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to go in this direction. That's pursuing a life of holiness, of consecration unto God, living a life of repentance. Paul's saying, look, if you will keep going in that direction, you'll start to feel the freedom that God brings you. Certain things won't gravitate to you. Certain things won't pull you back anymore. Certain things won't be a stronghold in your life. Certain mindsets and actions and thoughts and behavior will, those things that don't line up with godliness will start to fall off of you because you are made up your mind. I'm gonna go the way God wants my life to go. Because sin is not our master. We must let go of control. And recognize Jesus has all the power, has all the might, has all the strength. 
has all the ability deposited inside of us through the Holy Spirit that enables you and I to live a life of aiming towards holiness. Second, let go of conformity. Let go of conformity. Paul moves on in this train of thought in chapter 12 of Romans. Look at it with me in Romans 12. Let go of control, let go of conformity. Romans 12, 1, Paul writes, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. And don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Other translations will say something like, Stop conforming to the patterns of this world. Stop conforming to the structure or the systems of this world. Let go, letting go of conformity. The word conform here means this, to fashion one's mind, character, and self to the pattern and the system of this world. And Paul is writing to us to let us understand that if we want God to work in us, we want God to change us, we want God to help us, we want God to work things out in our life, we cannot conform to the pattern and the structure of this world. We can't allow ourselves to be fashioned in our mind and our character and in ourself after the pattern and the structure and the systems of this world. So he says, listen, let go of conformity. Let go of conformity. Let it go. How do we do that? What does it mean when we say, let go of control, let go of conformity? It picks up in this third point that I'm going to end with. Let God. Let God transform. Let God transform. He goes on to say this in the second half of verse 2. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Transform. I'm going to take a moment to break this down. The word transform here in the Greek is metamorpho, which means this, to change into another form. This is where we get our word metamorphosis, which means to a profound change in form from one stage to the next. So from caterpillar to pupa to adult butterfly. You look at butterflies, we know science. See a butterfly? Ah, it wasn't born a butterfly, it was born a caterpillar. How did it get to be a butterfly? Metamorphosis. However that works, science people, it works. That's why you got to pay attention in school. I know, we don't think, what does this have to do with life? God put it right here. He's showing us the power of transformation. The power of transformation to literally change our life. Man, that is worth gold. Because you and I are powerless to change our lives. 
we want to still control and we want to still determine what kind of patterns we want to aim our life after. But God has given us the blueprint. God has given us us the design. Doesn't mean we go live in fortified, behind fortified walls and isolation and all of us dress the same way, look the same way, act the same way. No. Because that does not line up with the New Testament of being believers who shine their light in a dark world, being salt in this earth. What does it mean then? It means we don't have to try to be like this world But also, we don't have to try so hard. Let that free you up. Some of us try so hard to not conform that we find ourselves conforming anyways because we're trying to do it out of our own ability and strength. We're trying to do 10 steps here, five steps there, three good thoughts here. A good, here's a good scenario, an ingredient recipe to change your life over here and it all sounds real good it all sounds dolled up it all sounds like that's going to make something really good if you put it all together here's the thing you and I were never meant if we could if we were never meant to transform our life on our own we can't do it you can't make yourself nicer you can't make you can't make yourself any more patient You can't make yourself any more Christ-like. If we could do that, we wouldn't need God. We wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't need the Word. We wouldn't need each other. God uses all that and then some to make changes in us. Let God transform you. There's some people here today listening, watching, and participating. Let God change you. There are some serious strongholds in your life. Let God change you. you got some jacked up theology. Let God change you. You're too hard on yourself. Let God change you. You feel bound. Let God change you. You feel powerless. Let God change you. Let God change you. Let God transform your mind. Let God transform your character. Let God change your life. Yes, I know we're supposed to be there for one another and be accountable to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but here... Here's also a problem that we tend to have as Christians. We tend to stick our nose into somebody else's business way too much. Instead of a nose, how about a prayer? If somebody didn't ask you for advice, don't be giving it. I know there's some that can sound kind of contradictory to being there for one another's, being in covenant with brothers and sisters in Christ. I get it. But here's the deal. Let the Holy Spirit go to work. We're not anybody's savior. We're not anybody's changer. We do have a role and a responsibility to one another, 
But at that time, what we are called to do is, hey, how can I help you see and point you to Christ even more? How can I help you see the power of the transformation of the Holy Spirit that He wants to do in your life? I can't make it happen for you. I'm not perfect at living it either. Last time I checked, I let five people down in one day. Let God change you. Let go. Let God. To me, that's how that's supposed to be used. Let go of whatever control you've got in your life right now and come to grips that, look, this thing is eating me alive. This thing, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it's causing you to miss your mark, whatever it's causing you to wander from the path of uprightness in the Lord, whatever it is, surrender it to God. Let go of trying to control it. Let let go of trying to project manage your shortcomings. Let go of all of that. And let God truly display His grace. The The doctrine of sanctification is rooted in grace. Because we don't change because we try to do better. We change because Christ is better in us. And here's the thing. Why do I need to change? Why can't I just do what I want to do? Go about living life. Paul sums it up there in verse 2. If you want to learn what God's will, purpose, and plan is for your life, you'll never know it unless you let Him change you. Unless you let Him begin to transform you. Transformation opens the door to knowing God's will, purpose, and plan. And He says it is good, it is pleasing, and it is perfect. That, my friends, is tailored from God the Father specifically for each one of us. His will, His plan, His purpose. God has brought you to this planet, brought you into this world for a reason. And He can see your struggles He can see our missteps. He can see our miscues. He can see what triggers us. He can. And guess what? He doesn't get mad at us. And think, man, can't you do better with your life? Come on, can't you get it together? not what he does. That's not who he is. Why does he want to change us so much? Because when we're born, we're born into sin, in a sinful nature. That is not who he created us to be. What reverses that? Christ. 
Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of everything living inside of us. And what happens when that begins to take place? God's will, God's purpose, and God's plan for your life. Man, I just can't, I I just sense so bad, so much, that God wants to do so much more in our life than what we are able to even begin to comprehend with our little minds. And I got to tell you, I'm as guilty as anybody else because I like to control. I like to project manage. I like to have my hands in it. And I like to know the end from the beginning. You better let me know 10 days in advance if that's what's going to happen, God, because if not, I can't get on board with that. And God just sits back and smiles and laughs. And I, 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 can I take my liberty? I know we're supposed to be getting out of here. I know you guys are, I told you to come on up and get ready to play. But I, I, I want to see a people. I want to see a church who wants to just gravitate towards what's real, towards what's sound, towards what's centered, towards what keeps you anchored when all of life is stormy and all of life is crazy and we live in such a weird and wild world but come on none of what's happening in life shakes our God none of what's going on in our life surprises him none of it and here's the thing he knows what each one of us is afraid of and scared of and bound to He knows it, but he's here to say, I want to free you. I want to help you. I want to change you. I want to transform you. But you've got to let me have all of it. Don't just give me a little slice of the pie. He says, let me have the whole thing because I like what's in it. And I can take what tastes nasty and turn it into what tastes good. So let me have it. If you can stand, let's stand. We're going to go to this song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. And I just want to encourage you today, if you really want to begin to walk in your purpose, you really want to begin to step off into what God's created you for, the only way that happens is we daily let God change us. We daily let God transform us. We daily surrender to the power of his hand in our life and we let him truly change our mind change our character change ourself to reflect his image inside of us and that leads to his good his pleasing and his perfect will for our life there's so much that God wants to do in you so much more. And I, and, I, and I don't mean to belittle what he's done. I'm just saying there is still so much more to walk out. Do you believe in the power of the redemptive work of Christ? And do you believe in the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit? And I want to encourage you as we sing this song, put it all in his hands today. Let him have all of it and let him go to work in you. And I'm going to promise you this. Actually, I'm just reinforcing a promise that he's already given. You won't recognize where you are a year from now if we really let God change you and transform you. Come on, let's sing this.